Mark here attempts to describe something that is literally indescribable. And that's the way it is with the best things in life. They're really hard to explain. They're impossible to explain. A mountaintop experience is like that, if any of us have had one. Ultimately, it is beyond words. Just a little while ago, a few of us gathered with David in the refectory for centering prayer, and we read together a portion of the cloud of unknowing. And in the cloud of unknowing, the author, who is unknown, was trying to explain what it's like to have a contemplative moment or experience. And after this long page of reading together, the last sentence read, well, it can't be explained, only experienced. And that's the way it is with mystical encounters. They can't be explained, only experienced. And that's what's going on in this text from Mark's Gospel. Peter, James, and John have gone up the mountain with Jesus, and something amazing happens. And Mark tries to record an account of it here for us. And because things like this are indescribable, I'm a little hesitant to say anything else. But let me just offer a few words, if you will uh, beg my apologies. I want to try to say something about this event, but I can only talk around it, really. I can't quite get to the center of it. There are two stories, two events, that occur right in the center of Mark's Gospel. And they're very important because they're pivotal moments in Mark's telling of Jesus' life and his story. One of them is the transfiguration. The second happens right before this. There's a moment, and we're told in Mark's Gospel that it happened six days earlier, when Jesus turns to the disciples, to the disciples, and he says to them, who do people say that I am? And they reply, well, some of us have heard that you're John the Baptist from others around us. Others say that you're Elijah. And others, that you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And then Jesus turns to Peter and He says, well, Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Messiah. And he gets it right, but it's pretty clear that Peter doesn't fully understand what that means. And so six days later, there's this experience that we hear about where he and James and John are led up the mountain with Jesus. Jesus tells the disciples in that moment, right after he's had this conversation and turned to Peter and said, who do you say that I am? That he has to go to Jerusalem and that he has to suffer and that he has to die, and that on the third day he will rise from the dead. And Peter looks at him, and the Scripture says that he rebukes him. He says, you, this can't happen, Jesus. This isn't the way it's supposed to go. And Peter, or Jesus says those famous words to Jesus, or to Peter, get behind me, Satan, for you have set your sights on the things of this world not on what God intends. This is important 
Because Jesus is helping them to understand now what it means to be a Messiah, the likes of which He is. He turns to the disciples and the crowd and He says, If any any of you want to become My disciples, you must deny yourselves and pick up your cross and follow Me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for My sake and for the sake of the Gospel will find it. You see, Peter was thinking too narrowly. He was thinking only of himself and maybe the other disciples, maybe even that crowd that was with them. And of course, he was thinking about Jesus and his welfare. But he missed the significance of the title of Messiah with Jesus. That it meant far more than just the welfare of those in his inner circle. Peter's perspective was limited. And the invitation that Jesus presents to Peter and to the others there, including us even now, is to have a wider vision and to see things the way that God sees things. The invitation is to recognize an all-encompassing view of creation, and that God is caring for everything. Ken Wilber, who is known for his work on the evolution of human consciousness, talks about four different levels of understanding or awareness. And the first he talks about as me, that everything in the world kind of revolves around me. And we kind of start that way when we come into the world as children. Everything revolves around us and our care. But as we grow and as we mature, that awareness begins to grow and mature as well. Until suddenly, we're able to take into account others around us. That it becomes we instead of me. And then eventually, it becomes all of us. And then as we continue to grow, if we continue to grow, our consciousness includes all of us and then some, which is the perspective that Jesus had. All of us, and then some. Jesus has that type of consciousness. He sees all, He feels all, He cares for all. But those with a lower level of consciousness, like Peter, and like most of us most of the time, it becomes very difficult to understand words like, die in order to live, or lose yourself in order to be found. Those phrases make no sense at the lowest level of consciousness. But the messianic role of Jesus is unconventional, and it invites us into a greater awareness, countering typical thought and understanding and perspective Remember, this is Jesus of whom it was said he didn't count equality with God something to be grasped, but instead he emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And in that form, he revealed and reveals the greatest love the world has ever known, the greatest power the world has ever known. Peter didn't understand that. He wanted to protect Jesus. He wanted to guard himself and others 
from experiencing the pain and the suffering that they knew was awaiting them if they went to Jerusalem together. And that leads us to this second story where they, they go up this mountain and Jesus is transfigured and transformed right before their eyes. Peter, James, and John go up the mountain with him and Jesus becomes a dazzling white, we're told. And then, lo and behold, there appear with him Moses and Elijah, the very one that others had told the disciples, Jesus must be him. And he's standing there with Moses and Elijah, and before anything else can happen, Peter makes the most ludicrous claim, really. It's kind of funny. He says, well, why don't we build some tents for all of us, and we'll, we'll stay here. And we're told that he was so afraid he didn't know what to say, and so he just, he just babbled something. But it's kind of silly that he wanted, in essence, to stay put and take advantage of the moment and make something out of it. Maybe he wanted to sell tickets so others could come and see what was going on. But we know that that couldn't happen. Something more of who Jesus is was being revealed in this moment. It's at that point that a cloud comes over them and suddenly Moses and Elijah disappear and only Jesus remains. There's a focusing going on here. Moses and Elijah represent the wisdom and the teaching of the law and the prophets. All these things that had gone before. And all these things that the disciples were very familiar with as faithful Jewish men. And yet they disappear. We know in other places in the Gospel, Jesus said, I didn't come to eliminate all that, I came to fulfill it. And they see that fulfillment right in front of them in that moment when all else disappears and all they have is Jesus before them. Here it is, Peter, James, and John, who have this mystical experience that suddenly changes the way they understand what Messiah means and who Jesus is. They suddenly know Jesus in a different way. They hear God's voice. Their awareness changes. They have this experience that raises their consciousness and gives them a fuller understanding of what it means now to be a disciple of this one that they're calling Messiah. Something more of who Jesus is is confirmed for them, but also, and maybe more importantly, within them. James Marion in his book, Putting on the Mind of Christ, The Inner Work of Christian Spirituality, writes that there are at first three principles that govern the spiritual path from start to finish. He's talking about how we evolve and how we grow as spiritual beings. And he says, first and foremost, or at the beginning, all growth in consciousness is a process of inner realization, that it has to happen inside of us. It can't just take place out there. We can't just be told about it. We have to experience it ourselves. Number two, all inner realizations are the result 
of personal experience meditated upon in some fashion. We have to be paying attention to what happens. And we have to reflect on it in some way. We have to journal about it. We have to talk to someone to make it real. We have to, as Mary did, ponder it in our hearts. And when we do, we begin to wake up. We're broken open, so to speak. And number three, all growth in consciousness is a lessening of self-centeredness. A death to the old self-centered way of looking at the world and a simultaneous rebirth into a less self-centered way of seeing things. Now that's significant. And that's what I think begins to happen, at least to Peter. He's no longer thinking just about him or even his close friends, but he's beginning to get the bigger picture. The transfiguration is an experience of spiritual growth for Peter. He is impacted in a way that deepens his inner awareness of who Jesus is and his consciousness expands. Ultimately, each of us have to answer that question, who do you say that I am? This evening, we are on the brink of an important season in our Christian year, the season of Lent. It's a season when we are reminded that we are dust, and from dust we shall return. On Ash Wednesday, many of us will receive the imposition of the ashes and be told those very words. And we enter this long season of penitence, of renewal in our lives. There's a reason why this text appears right now, right before we enter this difficult season. Because it reminds us that our hope is in the glory of God, known in Jesus Christ and in His resurrected life. And so even as we hear those words tomorrow, and we remember that we are dust, we also look, we also look to the day of Easter and the resurrection, and to the reminder that we too are God's beloved sons and daughters, and that we too are called to see the world the way God sees it, to recognize that all of us are included in God's love, and that we are called to be faithful disciples of this one who we claim as well as Peter, as our Messiah. Amen.